This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. This is the uh, this is the west view from the very very top of the tower. Um, so those those towers below me there, those mm-hmm. are each sixty feet tall. Um, so you can see how much you know I'm like what two well over two a few times that high. That X looking thing in the far on the far west side, that's the far west edge of the park. That's the second west. Uh, it's called the West X Tower. Um, and then you can see the line here where the road and the train is. That's the sort of south edge of the park. And then the east edge of the park goes all the way out there. Basically, as far as you can see, all those lakes and stuff are part of the park. Um, and there's the East X Tower just over there. And our restaurant and stuff is, I'm zooming in now, like mm. the food, you can see the quarry shelf down there where all those tables and chairs are. And the amphitheater's almost done. It's down there in our little restaurant, our pump tracks and skills tracks and kids zone and all kinds of other stuff down there, corporate rental spaces and stuff like that. So for people who don't know, this is, uh, I mean, first of all, we're looking at the forge. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people in the Midwest uh, have by now heard of it. The Fort Lamont Quarries is an adventure park, basically a, a public private social enterprise focused on a lot of the outdoor activities. It's basically like a playpen for, for adults, man, especially if you're an outdoorsy kind of person like I am. That's and why I was kids. so stoked when I, when I saw it. And kids, for sure. Yeah. Um, so just wondering, like, where, where did this idea come from? Well, the, the short answer to a very, very long uh, question there is it came out of a, a couple of things. One was uh, a desire to bring authentic outdoor recreation experiences to the Midwest that really don't exist here. Um, I mean, Chicago land is amazing and we have all kinds of outdoor recreation opportunities, right? There's fantastic kayaking, um, all kinds of uh, lakes and uh, rivers and things to fish in. And we have, out, particularly out here where, we, where we're building the park, we have hundreds of miles of bike trails and public land to run and walk around in. Um, but that's kind of the extent, right? There's no place really in the tri-state or even the quad state region where you can go outside and perform a, you know, a, a 90 foot outdoor rock climb uh, as a full ascent. And there's no outdoor bouldering parks and there's no, there's not a lot of outdoor skills tracks and for, for biking and there's no pump tracks for practicing your skills. And um, so my, my uh, co-founder in the, of the business, Chris Gladwin and I, uh, we enjoy doing adventure races and ultra marathons together uh, and orienteering races and all kinds of fun stuff. And, this area where we're building the park is kind of a playground for us. We've been out here training and playing for well over a decade each. And um, uh, when we sort of sat down a number of years ago and thought, how do we create something that is, uh, that would help us to share our passions with the broader community and the broader ecosystem, but do it in a socially responsible and, and uh, an impactful way. Uh, and it was out of that that the idea for the Forge Lamont Quarries was born. Uh, so we struck out and, figured out how to put a public-private partnership together with the village and township of Lamont, whereby in addition to the land that we had purchased outright that, that borders this space, we were able to enter into a license agreement with these public villages, basically, to take over the responsibility and therefore the fiscal, the fiscal responsibility, right? So the obligations to build and fix and restore and beautify this public area um, that the government doesn't have the money to, to fund and taxpayers certainly can't fund it. Um, so the, the, the opportunity to sort of build this amazing social enterprise sort of grew out of this vision um, to share our passion and love for the outdoors with everybody else. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and I'm curious now, 
Um, I mean, you know, I think one of, one of the things I loved about it is that you can do all the things that you mentioned. You know, you can zip line, you can rock climb. Typically, like you'll have to go to one area to, to do that. Um, That's right. Uh, I'm curious, how many people does does the park fit at one time? Like if you if you were to, to estimate it. Yeah, well, that's an, one of the really amazing things about this. Is it's, it's the biggest, we, we built the world's largest aerial ropes uh, and adventure course. So, um, I mean, it's absolutely massive. It's called the Eight Towers Adventure because it consists of eight towers. At the very beginning, you know, here I, I showed you a couple of those things. But um, over a 10, so 10 of the 300 acres is, um, is home to the Eight Towers Adventure. And it has ropes climbing, rock climbing, rappelling and zip lining activities ranging from 15 feet in the air up to 120 feet in the air where I am right now. Uh, and, you know, we have 299 outdoor ropes course elements that are scattered across these eight towers. And to put that in perspective, wow. um, the next largest aerial course in the region within, within honestly, within 500 miles of here has like 65 elements. So we're just multiples bigger than the next thing. And that just means that doesn't mean you can finish it in a day. No one can. But it means that there's an opportunity to come back again and again and again. And it also means that we could build this thing at scale. I mean, there's 10 million people in Chicagoland. And so right. to, to create a place that everyone out here could enjoy without it being too overrun or too crowded, we had to make it big. So the answer to your original question is we can fit over 650 people at once at elevation on the Eight Towers Adventure alone. It's that big. And when you start factoring in like our amphitheater, we've got like a, an outdoor you know, concert venue and things we're built, that, we're, that we've built. And stuff, we, you know, we can fit 1,500 people in that space. Uh, here in a COVID world, to ensure we're properly socially distanced, that number drops to about 600. Um, mm -hmm. We divided the entire place up into these socially distanced uh, squares. So you can come out and enjoy everything from a yoga class by yourself to, uh, you know, to, to group events with your family and close you know, uh, social distancing uh, quarantine buddies. Um, but it's a spectacular place. Absolutely spectacular. Is this, is this the first time you do something of, of this magnitude? Uh, well, the first time that we've built an outdoor adventure course or adventure park, yeah, for sure. Um, Chris and I uh, and our other partner, Bart, are uh, entrepreneurs by sort of life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we've each, Chris and I have been technology entrepreneurs for decades now, um, each having started uh, and sold uh, multiple companies through our careers. Uh, all, but all, all, they were always software and technology companies. Um, you know, and so we've, you know, we've been down that path many times of building businesses from scratch. Um, and this in, in many ways is very similar to building a technology company. Obviously the product that you build when you're building software, uh, takes a different shape, takes a different form and the, the players you need on the bench day one are a little different than the players you need day one on the bench if you're building an outdoor recreation business. Um, but business is business, right? And, and operations are operations and it's always all about finding the right team to go with the right vision and the right idea and then just focusing like crazy on execution. So it's our first adventure park, but you know, honestly, it's, it doesn't feel any different than starting any other company. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. I mean, it's almost like putting pieces together, solving, totally. you know, at pain points, it's uh, everything right. that you would get out of, out of a start, uh, you know, building a startup just, yeah. I, I mean, this is a, a different context. Well, one of the cool things that actually we're able to bring to this enterprise because of the fact that we come from software and technical backgrounds is, in fact, I'll switch my camera around again to show you that I'll illustrate this yeah. point um, in real time. So, you know, if I switch that camera and now it doesn't want to switch, that's super funny. Boop. All right. So it won't switch for some reason. Oh, there, oh, we, there go. we go. Finally got it. Yeah. All right. So there you see that, that giant hex tower down there? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about 
problems like how do I build like massive scale into a closed environment like a 10 acre plot of land stuck between a bunch of you know rocky quarries um, if you know so, you know for us it was very helpful to understand how networks work and how packet switching works and how data moves in a database right and how you can uh, stack stuff on top of each other and how you can sort of line things up from in a software and a data in an architectural standpoint to sort of get higher throughput and higher bandwidth out of your applications. We applied a lot of what we've learned through other businesses to this. I mean, there's no other place in the world that has the kind of throughput or the kind of network-like infrastructure that they built into the actual operations of the park. And that's what helped us to get to the point where we could build something that can have 650 people in the air at once, but also put 10 more people on every 10 minutes all day long, every day. So we designed this system, right, just like we would a software application to drive efficiencies and to ensure we can stay in control of that network. Um, whether, again, whether that network is software or, or data or it's humans, um, a lot of those lessons we learned over the last couple of decades of building software companies really sort of came through. And that's mm -hmm. meant that this park is totally unlike anything else that's ever been built in the outdoor recreation industry. Um, I mean, both in terms of size, scale, scope, uh, and just sort of thinking that's gone into it. Um, and that's obviously just because we've come from a, this from a totally different angle, a bit of a disruptive and innovative one, which we're excited about. And, and where did the design ideas come from? I mean, because if you, I saw some of the structures, especially the pictures, some of the towers yeah. were, looked like they're kind of leaning a little bit. It looked, it looked yeah. super awesome. So I'm just wondering, yeah. where did that arise from? Yeah, well, in fact, the tower that I'm on right now is called the Skyscraper Tower. And, um, you know, I'll actually, I'll switch my camera out again, and I'll explain a couple of things here as we're, as we're looking at it. But if you yeah. look here, right, you can sort of see. Oh, there we go. Of course. No, actually, you can if, see, if you... Oh, is that better? Jeremy, yeah, this is what oh, I was cool. referring to from the beginning, yeah. Oh, God, Perfect, I'm sorry. Man. So you <laughs> see good. how, like, this, how the, the steel structures there are angled out? Yeah. From this height, it looks like they're ever so slightly angled. And, you know, the angle is not ridiculous, but... Mm. Um, but we built this thing to feel and to feel like it does, like you're seriously arcing out and over the ground. In fact, if I just give you a straight down shot from here, right? Like the, the top of the tower is pretty far out over the bottom of the tower because it's just massively arced. And it's actually designed to look like the Sears Tower uh, splitting mm -hmm. apart. In fact, if I look out here toward the east side and I zoom in, you can see out there in the distance, maybe if I'm not too shaky, there oh, it is. The Sears Tower, yeah. The Chicago skyline. So the, skyline. the skyscraper tower is meant to look like the Sears Tower splitting apart. Uh, we're in this post-industrial area out here, so we kind of wanted to have this post-apocalyptic industrial feel to it, so that you know this tower feels of the place and it feels where it belongs. Uh, so that was part of the design thinking that went into this thing. Is again, how do we create something that's just totally unique and something that can be a showcase piece, right? Something you're going to remember for the rest of your life. So, you know, a lot of the initial thinking for this was done on the back of napkins, right? <laughs> and just sort of sitting around talking. And then we partnered uh, with a firm called Bonsai. Mm -hmm. Bonsai is uh, a design company out of uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. And they've been building outdoor ropes courses and operating adventure park-like places, mostly ropes course and aerial adventure parks, for 20 years. And we wow. went to them and we said, hey, we want to totally break the model. You guys know what you're doing because you operate parks and you've obviously been designing these things forever, but we want to flip this industry on its head. You want to flip your model on its head. Here's what we're thinking, right? And we said, we want steel. We want mass. We want huge stuff. We want to be able to put a hundred people or more on a single element without any issues. And they were like, that's never been done before. I'm like, I know that's why we want to do it. Because traditionally, you know, ropes courses and, and stuff are built using wood poles or they're built okay. in trees. That's one of the reasons why we can have the world's tallest 
you know, climbing tower that I'm on because we built this thing out of like industrial grade steel. I mean, it looks and feels massive. Like last week, we had an entire, we had an all staff party out here to celebrate our opening. And we put all 108 employees on this, on this tower right here, the skyscraper. And everyone played on it for an hour. We hung out and, you know, took lots of photographs of drones and it was super fun. But I mean, just that gives you an idea of just the scale. Wow. It's so big. So it took a lot of design thinking to get it right. Um, this is a big, big project. And on top of that, it took a lot of design thinking to get it right because we had to engineer this thing to stand in perpetuity on what is really a giant old quarry that's just mm. backfilled 35 feet deep of slag rock and broken up rock. It's been sitting here for 120 years. So super cool engineering problems that we had to solve in order to make this thing a reality. And it's been so much fun. How long did it take from, from start? I mean, like maybe talking about the planning first and then from start yeah. to finish up until tomorrow. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the first, well, yeah. Okay. We'll go all the way back just to give you a sense. It's been a long time. I and mean, I've been thinking about this concept since 2006, this concept for this place wow. anyway, since 2006. In fact, I fell in love with this, with these quarries um, in, it was May 20th of 2006. The town of Lamont does this race called the Quarryman challenge. Uh, this place is the hilliest part of Cook County. There's hills all over us and we're down actually in the middle of this valley. And although the hills don't rise that much, like, you know, you get a little bit of altitude here, a little bit of uh, ups and downs. And so if you're training at the time, I was uh, running around the country on the weekends competing as a triathlete. And so I needed places to race and places to run while I was training. So I found Lamont and I found this race. It was a 10 mile super hilly race. I finished the race. I got, went to the podium, grabbed a trophy and it was a big chunk of limestone with a little plaque on it. It's like, oh, cool. What's the, what's the significance of the limestone? And the woman who gave it to me at the time, she was a village trustee and her name is Jeanette Virgilio. And uh, she now, and for the past several years, has been working for us as our project manager on this. She's a, she's a civil engineer wow. and environmental engineer by background. And we ended up uh, becoming good friends and, and she joined us to, to make this thing a reality. But she told me about the quarries and I found them. I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so that's really kind of when the idea started to percolate in my mind. And then in 2011, we, my family and I, we moved here to Lamont. And it was then that the idea became serious. And in 2014, January of 14, I sat down with the mayor and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And he was like, that's a no-brainer. We'd love to partner on that. And then in 15, by, by the end of 2015, Chris and I had gotten super serious about it. And we started putting capital to work. In 2016, we bought land and started working on the, on the public public partnership. And then fast forward to last August, we broke ground. And here we are just under a year later, opening our doors. So it's, it's been a long wow. journey, but the last year has been intense to say the least. Yeah, because you're, you're I mean, the, the, I feel like the final year is probably the most exciting, but also the most nerve wracking. You know, you oh, want to open your doors and you want to make sure everything's working fine. And Right, well, and in <laughs> our case, because it's a public private partnership, like we're using some public land, right? And so right. there's, we have this, we have this responsibility that, and we feel it deeply. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a resident. Chris is a resident. He moved here. Um, like we are totally invested in this community, but not everybody is thrilled with the idea of us turning a big portion of this part of this area into a for-profit enterprise, right? So mm-hmm. our model is designed such that most of the profit that we generate um, to us as the owners, we're actually going to donate back to, a non- to our nonprofit that is designed to invest in this area. So we're just going to keep putting more, pub- more of our money into the public ecosystem here. But the community, you know, as much as they want to believe that, they can't believe that until we actually do it. So we have this really, really, um, it's a heavy burden to bear because not only are we doing uh, something that's never been done before, 
we've also made a commitment as business people and as, as human beings to this community that we're going to invest even more into the public lands and into beautification and restoration and conservation efforts so that this land can be enjoyed for free forever by the entire community. And that's the other cool thing about this park is that it's free to come. Like you can just come hang out, watch people watch, do whatever you want, eat some of our food. That, that costs you money, obviously. It doesn't cost you anything to get into the park though. You can just oh, that's hang so, out. so cool. I didn't know that. You only, yeah, you only pay when you're actually gonna participate in a waiver-based activity. Um, yeah. So, which makes it remarkable too. I mean, you can just, literally just, you could loiter all day long and we're happy to have you. Um, just chill out. It's, but if you wanted to yeah. get on a, you know, on, on one of the towers, then obviously you have to, you have to get one of the vouchers or, or pay it. Right. If, right. Exactly. If you, if you want to repel off this state, off this tower <laughs> behind me, right? Then yeah, you it's, have to pay because it's, it's a waiver based cool activity. Yeah. Right yeah, there. Well, yeah. It's pretty oh, sweet. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it's so cool how it's also mirroring the, the Sears tower. That's what I loved. I mean, not only is it kind of this, you know, depicting it in a, in a, in a split image, but it's also mirroring it from the opposing end. Opposing yeah, end. That was, well, that's the thing, too. Like out here, I mean, what's amazing about this part of the of Chicagoland, too, is this, it's so historically significant. Like, it's hard to see from where I'm at because it's so green right now. But um, the I&M Canal, so the Illinois and Michigan Canal, which was the most important waterway in the United States through the end of the 19th century, runs literally right down the middle of our park. In fact, it splits the active zone where you paid for waiver-based activities and the passive zone that's free and open to do whatever you want in. Um, and it's just this amazing icon. And so, you know, part of our job here, too, is we want to accentuate that history and revel in that history and celebrate that history and teach that history. Um, mm. And in fact, you know, the, the next canal over is the Sanitarian Shipping or CalSAG Trail Canal, and that actually goes straight downtown. So it's actually possible to get on a boat in Lake Michigan or downtown and take a boat all the way down here to the park and hang out and then take a boat all the way back home at night. I mean, it's, it's that kind of a space. It's just so special and so cool and so interesting. So we can't wait to keep adding new stuff to it to make it even better man I'm, I'm so stoked I, I can't tell you i mean that, that's what i wrote to you on linkedin i was i was looking at it over the weekend and I, I just told my girlfriend i'm like listen next weekend we're booked the full day saturday i don't care i mean we're starting with the past then we're going you know we're going to upgrade to the membership sure <laughs> like, it just it was it was kind of uh, i mean for anyone who loves the outdoors this was like heaven dude and, and it was perfect timing because i just moved to chicago so yeah. I'm, I'm i'm like a, a big cheerleader on the inside i haven't even been yet but but that's that's why i wanted to jump on this podcast and do it well, we're happy to have you out. And like, the cool thing is too, I mean, what you just said actually is what we recommend. Um, and that is that like, come out, experience it once and enjoy it. Even if you don't do, if you don't pay for it, just come see it. Right. Right. And then as it happens, if you're going to come back more than a couple times, then memberships are what make the most sense. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But what we've done with our pricing model is very similar to what other attraction spaces and other, other businesses do. It's like come out once if you pay awesome. You can, you can apply that fee to your membership fee. If you decide to upgrade to a membership. Right. Um, so it's, it's sort of like you, you can't, you can't, you can't lose. Um, you just can't. I wanted to shift just, just for a second. Cause I, I, a Please. lot of my community are aspiring founders and uh, obviously you're the CEO of Imagineer Technologies, which yep. helps investor relations and, and yep. in investment funds with, with, um, with kind of their, their business development and the relationship yeah. management. So you do this, you're also building this for, for the, for the past couple of years. First, how yep. did you manage your time man, between the two? Well, um, as the honest truth is I, I've never been much of a sleeper. Um, but fortunately it's, it's never been something I've needed too much of. And so, uh, the honest answer is that I just, I work a lot. Um, and I've got a, my family and my wife and I have four children are incredibly supportive. Um, mm. and, you know, so for me, I, everything is a balancing act and a schedule. So 
I'm a big believer in the essentiality of managing your time uh, down to the minute when you need to. Um, and that How sounds do you do really that yourself? anal. Is it on like a, a calendar? calendar? Just, I keep three calendars. They're up in front of me all the time. I print them out every week. Sometimes I print them out every day, just depending on you know how, how fluid stuff is. And I just live by that calendar. And so what that means too, is I'm also, I'm not like, you know, uh, I'm not like Ebenezer Scrooge where I just all day work every day because, you know, money, I, I don't care about the money part as much as I care about the passion and the vision and the, the fulfilling those goals and ambitions part and, and building great teams and helping them succeed. Because if you do those things, then money happens and money's a cheap commodity. Like you, go, you can go get money anywhere. That's not the thing. You don't do things for money. You do it because of the passion. And so if I'm not passionate about it, I also cut it out of my life. I just don't do it. It's not going to happen. You know, so you don't see me. I don't, you know, there's a bunch of things I do not do uh, because I've chosen to do a handful of things. I just, but the things I do do, I try to commit and go all in on it. Just like allocate the time, allocate the resources and bang it out. Did, did you see a difference or feel a difference? I mean, you, you built something that, that obviously is super tangible. You're standing on it right now. You, yeah. you can't really do, do the same with software. So I'm curious, what was the feeling different finishing this kind of project versus building tech companies? Uh, it, yeah, honestly, it's pretty different. It's like, you know, with, with the technology company, well, there's again, there's so many parallels. Like with technology and any business, really, it takes you five years to get to the point where, you're, where you might be viable, right? Um, with a software company, for example, you know, the first year and two is just experimenting and trial and error and figuring, okay, how close are we going to get to product market fit by year three? And then how, 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 how well can we leverage that product market fit into a viable company by year five, right? Yeah. And in a, in, a, in a hardware business like this, right, a tangible physical assets business, it's no different except that you, you build and you plan a ton up front that first two years, right, just like you were with a software company. Uh, so it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of looking at looking at other parks and other places and trying to figure out what's going to work and what isn't. Talking to as many people as you possibly can and getting involved in as many ways as you can in the industry so you can sort of anticipate where things might go. But then you got to say, you know what, now we're done. Like now we've got to spend the, the millions and millions and millions of dollars to get that product that we can put in someone's hands. And that part's pretty freaky, right? Because if you get it wrong and you've just spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars on dirt, well, you're done, right? Um, it's really hard to earn the cash flow back on a failed investment like that to be able to, you know, get a get a return on your capital. Um, right. So in that in that way, it's 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 uh, it's kind of treacherous, right? Um, uh, in different ways that are different from doing a software company. Um, but it's also you can tell, like when you get it right, and when you get in, you know, in our case, we brought industry veterans in here, and they started looking at this place from the time we were doing our drawings and plans up to the time we broke ground and they're all just like, holy Toledo, this is, this is epic. Um, so we feel really comfortable that we made the right decisions. Um, and we'll, now, now we'll, we'll see, we'll find out tomorrow morning when the news, when the helicopters roll in and start taking photos and stuff, we'll, we'll know if we did it right. So. Well, one of the funny things is, I mean, as a, as a triathlete, I think it'll resonate with this is like when you're in pain, you know, you, you just take it one step at a time. Right. Oh, I talked to, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know, Dean Karzanis, but I had him on the podcast, mm -hmm. an ultra marathoner. And that's what he told yeah, me. Yeah, like, I know Dude, a hundred kilometers in, I'm just thinking one foot after the other. Let yep. me just see my feet, you know? Totally. And I'm, I'm curious, like when COVID hit, you just went on the offense, right? You didn't really retract. I mean, Oh, well, I mean by that. So, I mean, what's crazy for us is that, um, you know, as of February 28th, we were on track to open on May 25th. We were mm -hmm. ahead of plan. We were ahead of budget. Things were just clipping along. And we actually did a community event. We had 500 people in a, in a school auditorium that night of the 28th or 26th or something like that, 
talking about like how awesome it was going to be. And we started selling memberships and all that stuff on that, on the 28th. And then two weeks later, it was done, right? Everything was just different. And we've been very fortunate that, you know, we've been able to press forward. And we obviously had some vendors who, uh, who weren't able to meet their obligations and who were coming in from other states and things. And so we had to pivot and we made a lot of like game time decisions um, that in order to be able to get, get the, to keep the ball moving forward. Um, and we've been very fortunate in that like our team is spectacular and our partners have been phenomenal. And we, we made a choice to go local as much as humanly possible. And that's yeah. really, really benefited us. I mean, almost everything here is built by local firms, either out of Lamont yeah. or out of the West suburbs. And so that is essential because it's helped to keep us going when other places just you know couldn't have. And then we were very involved, like day one, we got involved with the state and talking about the phase, how do we think about a phased opening and what happens and how do adventure parks fit in and how can we be helpful? And we started talking with everyone from the president of Six Flags and every other amusement industry attractions group all the way to the, the, the regulatory bodies and agencies and said, okay, how do we do this? Or what's going to happen? And how do we think about it? And so, so we can start planning for how to operate efficiently and safely in COVID. And obviously now in Illinois, we're in phase four. Uh, but we've got operational plans we can just you know click on in a second for phase two three and four and five obviously but um depending on what happens with regards to resurgence and so now it's just a matter of you know continuing to assure the public that we're doing everything we can to make sure that they're super safe and again that's where scale is a benefit to us uh, because mm -hmm. we can have so many people again with 650 people on the course at once you're still no more than 15 feet apart close to each other right you're 15 mm -hmm. feet apart it's just the safest thing you can possibly have so that's been great, but COVID's been nuts. It certainly has. And going back to your question about like, you know, relentless forward progress. Um, yeah, my, 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 I share the same exact attitude and it's like, just, you know, it is all about making forward progress. Even if it's a half an inch, you just have to do it. And the other sort of mantra that I live by, my wife and I talk about all the time is like, you know, if you're setting out on a big project, a big goal, you, you know, you obviously want to know where you're going, but you have to have 10 plans for how you're going to get there because inevitably, you know, all those plans are going to fall apart along the way. But if you can't pivot instantly to a new path or a new plan, that's when you fail. That's when you fall apart. That's when things mm -hmm. go south. Um, so rather than thinking about, you know, how do I get from step A to step Z all at once? It's about how do I get from step A to step Z in 10 different ways? And the most important thing is just getting halfway there and then taking one more step. Right? So when I do ultra marathons, same idea. It's halfway there and one step further halfway there and one step further that's all you have to do to push on and win anyway yeah no that, that's so true man especially like if, if even if you're setting off for like a 10k you know as, yeah. as soon as you start running like you know those first few steps are so exciting and then five ten yeah. minutes and you're like oh fuck like this, this is gonna be <laughs> exactly. a long run. like what am i doing <laughs> yeah yeah what yeah yeah, well, yeah it's funny actually one of the one of the fun one of the most fun ha uh, ultras that i ever did was with chris and we did it in moab utah and it was this 50 miler that ended up getting cut to 42 miles because of the, because of race day conditions were so insanely hot. But, um, so we're zigzagging across the mountaintops and then you end that one down on flat, flat rock, which is like 120 degrees. And like our shoes are melting off our feet. And like, we were, I think of the 200 people that started the race, there were like 20 of us that finished I and mean, it was just insanely crazy. And like that whole last, the last 13 miles were just death. And then, the last six in particular were awful because you were you were running out of the parks on a on a uh, blacktop road, and so in addition to being like 110 degrees outside because of the road, the radiant heat was like 125, 130. It was awful. Oh my god! And like our shoes were literally melting off our feet, 
And thank goodness, and this is why I love adventure racing and I love ultra marathoners and I just love those communities. Is like one of the pros that was there who didn't finish, he like had to tap out because he had like something happened with his nutrition plan or something and he was feeling uh, dehydrated. And so he stopped to keep himself safe. He actually jumped in a car with some people and he was making trips back and forth that last six miles, just bringing ice water. And like literally every wow. mile, every mile we were already out of water. And so, you know, they'd be back to give us more water. We'd be guzzling it as we're running along. And it was just awesome. But that's what you need, right? You expect this idea of team when you're doing something long and hard and crazy and challenging, like you need people that are going to be able to support you. And that's without that, we never could have done this for sure. This is when you need David Goggins behind you just screaming. Totally. <laughs> totally. totally. Uh, curious also, uh, just kind of your mindset around consistency, because you're right, it's a long road. Yeah. What, what is your mindset around that in terms of seeing a project through over a course of a number of years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think to me, um, I think about life in general in blocks of five, so five years. Um, and so, and then I tend to sort of like break that five years down into multiple pathways and points so there's you know everything from there's a there's a halfway mark right because getting again getting halfway there and one step more is what is, is essential but you know for me I, I break it into these different chunks there's the halfway point there's every there's every year and then there's every six months and every quarter and for me I'm a goal setter and and whatnot so every quarter I look at and reevaluate my goals every six months every year every year and a half I just and I'm so constantly looking at those goals constantly reevaluating why I'm doing what I'm doing and if it makes sense. And what I find is if I'm doing that and I'm religious about it, um, then number one, I'm way more productive and I'm able to stay on task and just keep, again, keep pushing forward because I'm still passionate and I still understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think, you know, sometimes people, we kind of forget, right? Like you get in the middle of something, you get pretty far down the path and like one day you wake up and you're like, what the hell am I doing? What, why am I doing this? You know, what, right. what's going on here? Like what's the why and, here? Um, yeah. yeah, what's the why, right? And so if you're not constantly evaluating that, and then working toward the achievement of that why um, or the realization of that why is a better way to say it. Then like you're going to find, you're going to wake up one day and be like, you're lost. You're mm. lost. And that's the worst, that's the worst state to be in. You never want to be lost. How, how do you build that self-awareness though, in terms of finding something that, that actually fulfills you aside from money? Yeah. Well, um, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. I think it varies for every single person. Like for me, um, the, the, I guess I would say this, it's sort of changed a bit over time, right? Like, mm. and I think that's also normal. Like what was most important to me when I was 25 Changes, is different than what's most important to me today at 45. Um, but it's not so ridiculously different that I feel like I'm an entirely different human being. If that makes sense. So I was, yeah. I got married when I was 25. And so and at the time I was working at Goldman Sachs and um, what was important to me was that I established my, that, that I proved myself as a, as a professional, that I proved myself as someone who could, could do it faster, better, smarter than anybody else that I, in the room, if I needed to or wanted to. And uh, that was my professional thing. And on my, on, on my personal thing, I wanted to be a good husband. And then when we decided to have kids, I wanted to be a good dad. And I'll never forget, like, us, one of the first, uh, one of the first, you know, insanely successful guys I ever had a chance to sort of hang out with and learn from uh, early in my career as an entrepreneur after I started my first company was a gentleman who'd made, you know, multiple nine figures over his career, which turned into, you know, multiple billions of dollars. And for him, you know, we sat down one day and he asked me, he's like, what do you really want? And I said, there's three things in my life that I think are important enough to think about every single day. Right. Um, and you know, I want, and to me, it's important that I have uh, a strong family. Uh, meaning that I have strong issues with my children 
and have a strong relationship with my wife and that I have a, that I, that I have a career that is successful based on my definition. Screw what the world thinks. What is my definition of that success? And he kind of chuckled and he goes, you know, he's like, that's, that's, that's wise for being young. But he said, he's like, the reality is you can't do all three. You, you can't be perfect at all three of those things. Like it'll never work. Um, right. uh, and you know, and his point then was like, you know, you kind of have to choose in this case with your, with, and for me, it was choosing with my wife, what I was going to be best at, what I was going to be second best at, and what I was going to be third best at <laughs> over this, over the course of our family's development, family's involvement in my career. And yeah. so like, you know, I say this at. every day and my wife would tell you, yep, he's right. Is that I'm a much better dad than mm -hmm. I am a husband. And, mm. me, and that's not to mean that I'm like, you know, running around like being mean to my wife or that I don't love. That's not the point. The point is like um, my wife and I made this decision that because I have a pretty busy career, um, well, although we spend lots of time together, we go out together all the time. Like we love each other. We're with each other as much as humanly possible. Um, you know, she made the choice. She made a choice to be. Uh, an incredible mother and to stay home with our children. And she said, um, you know, it's okay. And it's weird to say this, but she's, you know, she said, it's okay to, it's okay that I have to be second sometimes because the kids need a father and a strong dad, a strong, strong father figure um, more than I need a strong husband all the time, but you can't be a jerk, right? <laughs> you, you can't, you can't, you can't ditch me. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. It's kind of weird. Married couples, I'm sure will understand what I'm talking about, but like, but like um, but that, those are really, really hard things to do. And I think if you try to do it all perfectly, A, you can't, and then you, then you screw everything else up, right? Because mm. no one can juggle everything, especially not the most important stuff. So again, that's why I, for me anyway, what works is you just, you are open about it. You're transparent about it with your wife and your children and your family and those you care most about. And then like the rest of you just let go. doesn't matter. I'm not going to worry about it. So. Yeah. I love that, man. That's, that's very true. It's kind of just being real with yourself, right? Like yeah. what am I actually really good at? What, what I can, what can I prioritize? And I feel like a lot of people listening, they might be or might have been discouraged because of what, what's been going on, especially if you're like a, a first time founder. Um, in, in those cases, like when you have setbacks, especially in, in your in your work career or, or work life, how, how do you just rebound? Uh, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, and, you know, I've, I've uh, like any entrepreneur, I've had my fair share of setbacks. Um, I mean, I've started a number of companies during my career and I've shut a couple of them down. We've had a couple that didn't work out so well. Um, and that's, that's really like the best batting, the best, the best baseball players, um, heck, the best football players. If you're into sports, whatever, the best anything athlete-wise, like no one bats a thousand. They just don't. And if they tell you they do, they're totally lying to you and they can't be trusted. Um, so, Again, it's like focus on the long term. Focus on sometimes little wins, especially if you're a, if it's your first time, especially if you're still learning. There's so much to learn, and it doesn't get any easier every time you do it again. But you you tend to make fewer mistakes um, the second, third, and fourth time around, not because you're so much smarter, because you already made them all, and so it's easier not to make mistakes the second time than it is not to make them the first time. Um, but I think the most important thing is just have that long term focus and 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 really determine for yourself what it is that's driving you, what it is that's most important. You know, I've got, I, I uh, spent some time, you know, with business school students and even all the way down to high school students and a lot of people that are aspiring entrepreneurs and they'll ask me, well, some other companies say, oh, I'm gonna, I wanna start a company, I wanna be an entrepreneur because I wanna be rich. And I say, stop right there. Like, that's not how you get rich. I'm like, if you wanna get rich, I can tell you all day long a thousand ways to get rich. But becoming an entrepreneur is not one of them. It's just not. Um, people tend to forget or to, or to fail to mention just how lucky you have to be right. to, to really, really make it big with something. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, 
that people talk all the time about what are the most important attributes to succeeding with a business or as a team. And obviously, you're, or succeeding with a business, I should say. And clearly, you know, team is super important, but it's actually timing and luck are so important. If you have the super right team important. and then you get the timing right, you're golden. You will win. Doesn't matter how good your product is. If you got the right team and you got the right timing, and by a team, I mean not just people that work with you, but it's capital partners and people that are backing you because you need capital. Um, even if it's your own, capital's got to be right. But timing and luck play such a huge factor. So much mm. more important than almost anything else. Um, so don't forget that, right? If you're if you're struggling as a founder, like don't don't uh, don't forget that not everybody got to the end without effort. And a lot of people, like, you know, a lot of the people you read about, um, they might be great people, but they also got really lucky. And a lot of them, they'll admit that to you. They will. I mean, Bill Gates is a perfect example. He always says, "I was really, really, lucky. really lucky. Right place, yeah. right time, right business model, and I won." Right? Mark Zuckerberg really, really, really lucky. Steve Jobs, mm. really lucky. Elon Musk, really lucky. I mean, it doesn't matter. Jeff Bezos, extremely lucky. Also crazy smart, worked their butts off, kept the long term, the long game in focus, but like recognized that they needed mm. great teams and then they needed a hell of a lot of luck and a hell of a lot of perfect timing. So it's, it's the way it works. I mean, geez, Google's the same way. Every big success is salesforce.com, all the same thing, right? Yeah, the co-founders of Instagram talked about this as well, like how important yeah. that market timing was to actually, you know, to, oh, totally. to their success. Totally. And the first software company that I, that I had the opportunity to start, um, you know, we started in a small market. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good-sized business today, um, but, you know, it was never going to be a billion-dollar software company. But we were the first SaaS platform in our market. Uh, before SaaS was SaaS. So, so we built it, we built for SaaS when on-demand was still a thing. Um, and, you know, all the people that we were competing against those first couple of years were like, ha, 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 you're going to die. No one would ever buy this stuff. No one believes the software on the internet, blah, blah, blah. And of course, within three years, like we were the biggest player and we had won that market. And it wasn't because we were geniuses. It's just, we, you know, we, we made the right technological decisions and had a great team. And then the world realized that software was going to eat, the, the software was eating it and that SaaS was the way to go. And we won. So, that was luck as much as anything else, right? Certainly. Uh, and, and before I let you go, man, um, I, I have two, just very, very two quick questions. Uh, the first yeah. one is, you mentioned you started your career when you were 25 at, at Goldman. I don't, I don't know if you started, yeah. but uh, that's where you were. Knowing what you know now, if you were to tell your 25-year-old self something, what would that be? Um, uh, so there's so many things I wish I could tell my 25-year-old self. Um, <laughs> You know, one Top of them three. would be, one of them would be, don't ever sell that Apple stock you're buying right now. Um, the first, the f I, w <laughs> I bought Apple at like $9 a share. Oh um, my God. And uh, I had at the time, I, you know, we were just married. We were, we were pregnant with our first kid. I had like 2000 bucks in my brokerage account and I bought all the Apple I could. Um, Cause I'm like, this is stupid. I got like eight bucks in cash. What the hell? And so I bought <laughs> and I sold it at like $65 thinking I was a genius. Right. But split adjusted that that's, I mean, my goodness, crazy. I'd have, you know, I'd have had, it'd have been a good bit. It'd have been a, a fun, my kids would have, would have, uh, <laughs> would have been trust fund babies. Let's say that. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, no, what I tell my 25 yourself is, um, uh, oh man, it's hard. Cause when I was 25, I, I mean, that's also when I was literally, I was in the process of sort of building my, um, building my vision for being a software entrepreneur. So I'd done software as a kid all growing up all through grad school. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm. I knew I wanted to be a software guy. And I built bump businesses in college and in high school. And so I just, that's, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I knew I was going to go do that. So 
I guess at 25, I would just tell myself, yeah, same thing I told myself, which is don't, don't sell out. I love Goldman. I, it was a great place to work. Uh, I was doing really well there. Um, and had I stayed, I would have just, you know, I'd have sold out and just worked for money. Uh, and so at the time I told myself, don't work for money, go work for passion, go mm -hmm. work and do the thing that you're most excited about. And you know, the rest will follow. Um, and that's, that's what I'd tell myself again. I'd also tell myself, you know, be very careful, even more careful than you, than I was about who you trust, who you take money from, um, who you, uh, align yourself with, um, as a young founder, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to know exactly who to trust and how to trust and how to protect yourself from, uh, from people who, you know, can be predatory. And so, mm. um, that's the thing just to always be aware of, you know, like don't, don't, uh, don't just keep your eyes wide open, you know, eyes would open. Gotcha. And, and before you descend back hundred feet down, yeah. what's your favorite structure or, or thing to do in the park, the forge? Oh man. Uh, geez. I like it all. The, I mean, obviously the, this eight towers adventure is a lot of fun because it's super physical. Uh, it involves, you know, upper body strength, lower body strength, balance. It's fun to repel. It reminds me of being up in the mountains and doing adventure races and stuff. Um, so, you know, certainly I guess I say this is my favorite closely followed by the pump track. Um, if you've never ridden a pump track before, you owe it to yourself to try it. It's just super fun. Basically, you use your, you use your body weight to tell yourself around the track. And the okay. more skilled you become, the faster you can go. And also the more kind of tricks and things you can do. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of course that you just, you can constantly learn on. There's always something else to push yourself to, to, to do to grow. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.